0: The team is 4-7, and so let's not lose our minds here. It's getting better. I think we can agree on that much. And as such, there are individuals who matter toward the team's future who are getting better. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer Daily Shots Of Penguins and Pirates, where you found this. The Steelers are back, right back, I should say, on the field for their first practice of Falcons week. That's today on the South Side. Uh, Very quick turnaround, as there always is, following a Monday night. And they'll do so with a measure of, let me try to find the right word here, because I don't want to make it sound like they're cocky or they're satisfied with being four and seven or something equally absurd. What they are is increasingly confident. They're feeling good about where they are from the standpoint of feeling like they're progressing, while at the same time feeling like there's still a ways to go. And that, of course, requires being aware of what it is that you're still not doing well enough. They're right in that spot. And I kind of like that. No, no one wants four and seven. No one wants to see them take the beatings that they did in the first half. But if that happens, this is how you'd want them to react. So What I'm going to do today is I'm going to pick one player from either side of the ball as my most improved player in parentheses of late uh, in the second set of parentheses, not named Kenny Pickett and see where it takes me. Kenny would actually be my guy on the offensive side of the ball. He went from having eight interceptions over a couple of games to none over the last three. His completion rate's gone up. His deep ball has gotten, well, it's become a thing. He's running for yardage on set plays, on set runs, and he's doing things like leading the team down the field for a winning touchdown like he did in the 4th quarter Monday night in Indy. But I'm going to I'm going to cringe a little bit here and I'm going to bite into a knife or something while I say this. But my other guy would be Kevin Dodson. I know it's never okay to say something good about anyone on the left side of the offensive line. Dan Moore still has a lot of work ahead of him, to be generous. I thought he played a lot better Monday night, but he's got a ways to go. Dotson, he's, he's starting to get there. And one of the reasons for that, and he and I have talked about this quite a bit, including again after the game in Indianapolis, is that he's not distracting himself with doing everybody else's jobs. That's the worst enemy of a young NFL offensive lineman is thinking to yourself, what about this guy? What about that guy? Do I need to help this person? Do I need to account for that person who looks like he's about to blitz? He's just doing his job now. He hasn't been great. He's missed. He's been beaten. But when you talk about guys who are growing in terms of confidence And that simultaneous awareness, he's right up there with Kenny. He really is. Because when he's at his best, and you'll recall when he first made it onto an NFL field when he was filling in for Matt Filer a couple years back. Five games, Filer was out. And all they asked Dotson to do was one thing. Find one guy, seal him. Don't worry about anything else. They didn't want to overcomplicate anything. They were in survival mode. And you know what? So was he. And he went out there and just found one person and just shoved them backward because this is a really big, really strong dude. We're starting to see the Steelers benefit from exactly that. So he'll be my guy, including all those parentheses from earlier, on the offensive side. What can you expect at Point Park University in downtown Pittsburgh? Respect Rigor, relevance. That's the Point Park Pledge. You'll be treated with respect while being challenged and supported academically to graduate with career ready, relevant skills. Visit pointpark.edu to learn more. On the defensive side, I'm going to defer my vote, or at least acknowledge that it'll be very, very heavily influenced by a discussion I had with Cam Hayward in Indianapolis after the game. And that's going to be Alex Highsmith. Uh, Not just what you think. He had six sacks through the first two seasons in the NFL. He's got 10 this season alone. He's got four forced fumbles. Uh, He's got 43 tackles. He's been all over everything, not least of which is sealing the edge on the run. But when we're talking about improvement, and that's what Cam and I were talking about, We're talking about something that he's done before, but is now doing it either in a different way or at a different level. And what's been the separator for Highsmith, and again, this is according to Cam, is that rather than just relying on his brute strength the way he did playing small college ball in Charlotte, he's finding different moves, uh, different finesse techniques In particular, finding a way to cut to the inside to make a difference there. Now, why would Cam bring that up with me? And by the way, it was he who brought it up. It's because the Steelers were having a really tough time getting through the heart of the Indianapolis offensive line. That was as expected because that offensive line is considered to be really good in the middle. Not at all good on the tackles. That's why you were able to see T.J. Watt and Highsmith kind of make their way around the edges okay. But since there wasn't anything coming up the middle, Matt Ryan could still buy himself an extra second or two by pretty much staying where he was. So the adjustment, the defensive adjustment that you saw the Steelers make in the second half was that they were just going to send more bodies and more people toward the inside and make it matter that TJ and Highsmith would make it from the outside. Only Highsmith was coming and stunting in from the inside, joining Cam, Uh, even being joined by defensive backs. That's how Terrell Edmonds got a sack. That's how Arthur Millett got a sack. Might have been the first time that I can recall all season any sort of sustained pressure from the secondary to go after a quarterback. Well, according to Cam, and this is the kind of thing that would probably require a pretty intricate viewing of the film to bear out, but so I'll just take Cam's word for it, Highsmith became just a wrecking ball in that area, and it threw off everything that the Colts wanted to do, including run the ball, just by his sliding to the inside. If you go back to when the Steelers first brought Highsmith in and saw him as kind of a, a, a work in progress, um, a project, even because of the low level of college ball that he came from, you'll also recall that they said at the time that he could play inside or outside. And if you look at his physique, you wouldn't hesitate for a second to put him inside based on that alone. So the fact that he was able to, in mid-game, come and make a difference there, this is a player who can do some things. He really is. When we come back, J1Q. Mike's can't be topped, not for beer, not for the awesome kitchen and menu that's available, and not for all the special events that are going on there. Check them out online at mikesbeerbar.com. Mike's Beer Bar, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. Today's J1Q comes from Danny Blay, who says, DK, did the offense improve with Najee Harris out? It seemed like we moved the ball more efficiently. And I feel like we could have thrown the ball even more if we needed to. You know, Danny, I know how it felt. And I especially know how it felt the one time that Benny Snell broke off a little bit of a longer run. Or had that really nice touchdown run, which I don't feel like he's going to be getting enough credit for. That was a really nice sideways levy on Bell-looking move before he went forward and hit his hole into the end zone. I also know how it felt when Anthony McFarland broke a couple of his. And I say broke only in the Steelers context, because broke means you got more than two yards. And there were a couple of times where Anthony went to the outside, found something. And I thought could have just kept running. And on one play specifically, he waited for some bizarre reason for James Daniels to catch up with him to throw a block that he didn't need. He could have just kept running to daylight. But when McFarland was drafted out of Maryland, you might remember this, that's what he was known for. He was known as the guy who he might not hit it for you on the first three, four, five, six tries, but he's going to hit one of them sooner rather than later because he will eat up blades of grass. And that was exciting. And it's rare to feel excited about this team's running game, whether it's Najee there or Jalen Warren or these two guys. And these two guys gave you something. And before you go and laugh it off and say it was just the Colts and the Colts stink, the Colts have certain things that stink. Their run defense doesn't. Their defense in general doesn't. The Steelers put up more points against the Colts than anybody had in seven weeks. So throw that one right out of the equation. My feeling, and you'll notice I'm using that word a lot in this particular response, is that Najee needs more time and more of an opportunity to display that he isn't a first-round back who should be treated like a first-round back. But at the same time, I might have been among the first to bring up earlier this season that what he was doing just wasn't cutting it. That was a pretty unpopular opinion at the time because everybody was still in love with Najee. Oh, Najee this, Najee that. And he has this spectacular backstory and tremendous, legitimately engaging personality. And yeah, there have been times occasionally when you've watched him in the NFL and seen him do something like carry a handful of guys down the field or even that leaping thing, which I knew was going (laughs) to eventually fade off for him and has. But overall, and I have a feeling this is where you're going, he hasn't been it. He hasn't had that it factor. Now, put that Right over here. Let's just slide it over to this side of the table and throw in these other three guys. Don't conflate how you feel about Naji versus what you think you can get out of the other three. You don't need to do that. We've seen a lot of Snell. We've seen some slash possibly enough of McFarland, and we've seen just a little bit from Warren and undrafted rookie. So to suggest that, you know, this is the way you'd want to go, you'd want to lean more toward these other guys is to ignore some pretty obvious factors that went into this specific game. And that was that the Colts set up their defense and practiced to face a back like Najee. How do I know that? Because that's what all teams do, and that's what the Steelers did in facing the Colts. In fact, they thought they'd see a lot more of Jonathan Taylor than the 20 carries he actually had. So when you are all of a sudden seeing somebody different and doing something that you hadn't prepared for either in practice or even on film, because what kind of film could you be watching to see Anthony McFarland? What, sitting on a sideline? That person who comes into the game operates within a significant advantage they're not just a change of pace they're a change of look a change of style a change of everything the Colts had to adjust to that and they didn't have any time to adjust to that since Najee wasn't declared out until near the end of halftime so I I don't like to tell people what to think or whatever but what I would suggest and only since you asked is I would take how you feel about Najee and just move it over here and analyze it on its own without wondering whether or not one of these other three guys is suitable to replace him. We kind of know who they are. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We'll do another one of these tomorrow.